Crude Audacity Podcast. Listening to the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. Today, we will be taking a deep dive into subsurface consulting from a geo's perspective. Why? Because you cannot replace a good geo. Advocates for both environmental and energy, a geo's perspective can literally be the pivot point for an entire team. We may be in the business of oil, but the best engineers in the world cannot make bad rock worth the hassle. Here to talk about it all. Jessica Davey, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much for being here. It's going to be an interesting discussion today because you are a scientist, you are an environmentalist, and you are a geo, and yet you love the energy sector. You're basically the keep it in the ground movement's worst enemy (laughs) or worst nightmare. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) Because you are a true energy advocate. So Give us the story. How did you get started? What are you doing now? Why energy and why geology? All right, that's a that's a lot of questions there. Um, really, I I've been interested in geology and the natural sciences since I was a child, so it's kind of a, a easy path for me to take um, with the interest there. And were you like collecting rocks as a kid? Oh well. It, as a kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist, so that was my the dinosaur kind of the people. gateway drug to <laughs> geology. <laughs> I grew up here on the the Front Range in Denver, and you know, being able to go up to Dinosaur Ridge as a kid and being fascinated by the dinosaur bones and footprints and that is the coolest shit ever. Yes. I've got even as an adult, you're like, no oh, it's, way! It's super exciting. <laughs> so that was you know that was the kind of the gateway for me with all of that and. Um, kind of departed from that uh, in my early adulthood. I was told by my my stepfather when I was graduating high school that in order to do anything with my life, I had to go into business or medicine. That's and not so bad advice. It's, it's not <laughs> bad advice, but it wasn't what I was passionate about. So I yeah. found myself kind of bouncing around, not really finding a home or somewhere where I felt comfortable. And I ended up sticking with business. Um, I grew up, my, my family was an entrepreneur family, and we, they owned several small businesses in the Denver area. And so that was kind of what I just felt comfortable with. Okay. And So you were exposed to the numbers game kind of right. at an early age. Yes, which it definitely has its advantages. Yeah. And so I think that's where, you know, then having the opportunity as an adult to go back and do what I really wanted to do. I um, married my husband in 2010, and shortly after that I had the opportunity to go back to school full time. A late in life geo. Yes, so. I'm a late in life engineer, so it works out. <laughs> it does. And I was a little more mature that second time around, like more dedicated towards the workload, so yes. to speak. And I absolutely was. I was definitely more focused, not worried about, you know, who I was going out with over the weekend or what parties I was attending. <laughs> over the weekend going out, right. you were probably like, leave me alone. I hate right. humans. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, um, I'm not like that at all. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so I had a, a more focused time in college, I guess, when you say even going back as an adult, and being able to really commit myself to my education mm-hmm. and finding my true passion in geology was key with that. Yeah. And so doing that with my undergrad in geology then kind of became 
the entrance to the energy industry. Okay. Um, so did, you got exposed to it in school then, or at least school 2.0 as I like to call it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, there was kind of a pivotal course in my undergrad years that I took was called Energy and Mineral Resources. Okay. And that kind of tied together, you know, the geology foundation and then what it's really used for and putting you know, the real world perspective to kind of the theoretical geology world that we studied in Interesting. Real world perspective. We don't get a lot of that anymore. Right. A lot of it becomes like theoretical work and then you get out to industry and you're like, what the hell? Right. Well, <laughs> then you're trying to figure out like the why. Why am yeah, I doing exactly this? Why, why is it important? Yeah. yeah. So that helped provide the why for you. Absolutely. And so when I, I graduated with my undergrad in 2016, which here in Denver was not the best time to graduate Mm-mm. as a geologist. Um, it's kind of <laughs> crickets trying to find even an internship, so it was really tough. And then trying to figure out what I was going to do for grad school. Um, you know, during my undergrad, I became pregnant with my daughter, and mm-hmm. she was born the second semester going back in my undergrad. And so that also presented a challenge with what I was going to do. I couldn't just pick up and move to go to grad school. Exactly. Or, you know, I had the the extra added you know hurdles of dealing with having a family with that. Mm-hmm. And so for grad school, I, I really was happy that I discovered the Global Energy Management Program through CU Denver. Mm-hmm. Sarah loves that, you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that for me really tied together my background in business mm-hmm. and then the, found, the technical foundation with the geology degree. It's kind of funny. All of you influencers, y'all always go back to business. You're like, you know, energy and the science, it just doesn't work unless you have that business background. And Absolutely. it's been a reoccurring theme. It's actually quite interesting when you think about it. Well, yes, you have to you know, understand the, the business and just the, the base economic side. And yeah why it's so important why the numbers make sense and why the margins don't usually make sense so you're back in school you decided to attend gym how did you find your way into actual industry past that point because that's a hard time to be looking that was a hard time and I kind of bounced around and it was just kind of the being in the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. and knowing the right people and so during my master's I started or I guess right before my master's I started doing the bookkeeping for the Denver Earth Resources Library. <gasps> the DERL. Yes. That is the coolest place on earth. And so many people don't go and utilize it, but it's literally like just a plethora of knowledge. Oh, it's incredible. I could, and it's like you the, can spend years down there sifting through all of the data. I mean, seriously, I used it for my grad classes when I was at Mines and it was it was unbelievable. Like there's everything there. It's incredible. It's so pretty too, the building itself. I know this is the same building we're in now, but like this is a really cool building. Oh, just walking in every morning, it's like <laughs> Like I really I would beautiful. steal the tile, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> How did you begin the networking process through DERL? So with that, um, I started meeting some of the members that would come in and just getting to know people as they were in the library, introducing myself, um, which is challenging. I'm, I'm very much an introvert, so mm-hmm. it's, um, I guess for me, it was just understanding the importance of networking and what I can gain from it, because personally, I've never gotten a job from the typical application process. Me either. It's always someone who knows me and is like, hey, I need you, like, specifically your skill set. Right. <laughs> and so for me, that that really motivates myself to, like, get out there and meet people and talk to people and, 
and build that community. Yeah. So, so yeah, tell you, us where you work now because you're 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 wearing a lot of hats here. Yeah. Back in 2017, I got hired as the administrative services manager for MHA Petroleum Consultants. So you are a geologist, but you took a different job to get your foot in Correct, the door, right, which yes. is awesome because yes. we need a lot more of that happening, especially right now. Yes. So you know, taking advantage of an opportunity to get in with a company and then start to build that you know reputation mm-hmm. with the, my coworkers um, was key. And this last year, um, July 1st is the official acquisition date. We were acquired by Spruill, okay. which is an energy consultant firm out of Calgary. Who exactly is Spruill? So we are a global energy advisory firm with a legacy of driving value for clients by helping professionals in the oil and gas sector make better business decisions. That's a big deal. It's it a is. really big deal. Yes. So subsurface consultants, y'all. So these decisions build the sustainable prosperity from energy resources around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are anchored in by deep geoscience, engineering, and operational expertise combined with a strong commercial understanding of energy markets. So I think that's so important because you're talking about deep science and what it means yes. to be a steward of this industry. And that, to me, is exactly what Spruill is able to provide, not only for subsurface consulting, but they also look at the bigger picture and how are you being the environmental sustainability governance like leaders for your, exactly. your clients. No, it's a very well-rounded Yeah. So how long have you been? What is this new role that you're doing? So with with Spruill, since the acquisition, I've been a geologist and the office manager here in Denver. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So still keeping my my technical and and business foundations here. Um, And with the acquisition, we've had the opportunity to create a new role for me. And so I am moving forward as the business operations manager for the U.S., Damn. So, yes. <laughs> That's so good. But again, going back to business. Right. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, helping. So what does that mean yeah. for the U.S.? So I, I get to help um, lead some of the programs that we're impl- implementing as we're growing as a company uh-huh. and streamlining the processes between our different offices. That's really so. cool. So where are your, all your offices? Because y'all are like really international. Right. So, You're yes. not just like Canadian international. Now, You're real yes. international. So right before Spruill acquired MHA, they acquired another um, firm that is an asset management group. So that really Ooh. expands and complements our product offering Exactly. Well. Okay. So here's something that's going on in industry that I know that you can talk to pretty well and it drives me insane because I ran into it the other day actually within my own office that oil and gas people are not environmentalists yet we have geos who get into oil and gas because they are environmentalists we have the engineers who are conservationists and always outside I mean that's a huge draw of our industry so I was wondering if you could kind of Talk to us a little bit about your perspective and why you are both an environmentalist and a geo and an energy. Yes. <laughs> you're, well, you're a trifecta. Right. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, I, I grew up here on the Front Range in Colorado, mm-hmm. grew up, you know, hiking and camping in the mountains here. And that's that was my initial draw with wanting to study the natural sciences. Yeah. So, you know, I'm an, I'm an environmentalist by heart. And, you know, most of us in the industry are. I think we've been really painted as the bad guys by media on the other the other exactly. side you know we shouldn't be on sides but unfortunately that's the case everyone needs energy right unfortunately. We all, we all need fortunately energy. fortunately and unfortunately <laughs> well unfortunately for us here we have such abundant energy sources that we've been able to provide mm-hmm. cheap energy for people and it's really improved the quality of life for everybody um, so I think that's really important you know we've worked on a lot of efficiencies mm-hmm. with energy too which is 
good for the environment as exactly. well. Exactly. And like the geo side of the, the oil matrix, as I like to call it, y'all are about uh, reclamation, cleaning up. Yes. I mean, you focus on all things environmental so that it continues to improve. Right. Well, we want to be able to go out and enjoy our, nat- you know, our natural beauty here, especially in Colorado. We exactly. want to keep it that way. Exactly. And it's, it's just so disappointing to see more rhetoric coming up. I mean, Colorado was just dubbed a no investment state and it's it's stemming from an environmentalist movement but we are the environmentalist yes so (laughs) yeah all the the regulatory issues here are just insane right now it's like an episode of real housewives it's just you never know which way (laughs) it's gonna go um can you talk to us about consulting because it is a prominent leg in the oil and gas industry however having been working for operators and then a consulting leg I will say it's very unique you have to you have to have a different mindset to really go into consulting and it doesn't really overlap with I guess uh service side or you know operator side you're you're a you're a new wedge so to speak right so yeah consulting is different in that you're kind of more on the sales side of things. You know, you're selling yourself, you're selling your experience, you know, as the expertise mm-hmm. and having to understand the whole big picture rather than, you know, typically with our technical roles, we're so pigeonholed and doing one yeah. task. Especially these days. Like, training programs are out the window. People know how to do one thing. Yes, everybody is super specialized. Yeah. So, yeah, with, with consulting, you're, you're forced to have a bigger picture and be able to function on, on a larger scale with mm-hmm. that. The way consulting was always presented to me, and one of my bosses actually told me, is, you know, you're not hired because things are going well, typically. You know, you're hired because there's either a need and a gap, or you're hired because you need to be the expertise. So can you talk to us about ways that consultants, or at least those in operational roles, or maybe looking for new opportunities, can kind of integrate with a consulting world and then integrate with potential clients because you have to have a finesse. So right, like what you said, you know, sometimes it's just a, an expertise that's needed. You know, it's, that's where we come in to play with doing like annual reserves for companies that they require mm-hmm. a third party to do that. But our main focus here in the Denver office with our engineers and our geos here are helping provide solutions for problems. So if there's a field that's underperforming and you want to troubleshoot why mm-hmm. or Maybe, you know, because of all the downturns we've had recently and yeah. we've lost our experienced staff, Isn't we that lack... so devastating? It, it is. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes the company lacks the expertise needed to figure out the problem. So yeah. that's where we come into play. Yeah. So when you're coming into play, and it goes back to, I truly believe you cannot replace a good geo. No. You know, you, that is the difference there you can't make bad rock good essentially right. so can you talk to us about what's happening in industry in terms of losing that talent because it's I think it's going to be a negative a negative side of the pivot for us it is and I think we're already seeing that you know I think as the use of computer programs has become more widespread you know mm-hmm. people think that especially with mapping you know they think they can just push a button in their mapping program and come out with a contoured map and they're they're good. No. You know, and this is where <laughs> this is where, you know, having that experience as a geologist and you know there's that old saying that the the best geologist is the one that's seen the most rocks. And that's very true because, you know, geology is such an interpretive science. And in order to understand, you know, what the data is showing you in the subsurface, mm-hmm. 
you have to have those interpretive skills. Yeah. And it becomes more of an art. Yeah. I, I would say geology is more of an art. I was actually teasing one of my geology friends the other day. I was like, don't you always have colored pencils? <laughs> yes. And he just glared at me. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> but like speaking about that interpretive art, that isn't something you learn in school. You learn by doing. So exactly. what what is your take on the current uh, geos in market? Because I know they're getting hit pretty hard, but how do they ascend the roles? How do they get those skill sets that are essentially leaving industry? Right. Well, and it's, it's a challenge right now, too, because I think a lot of companies aren't valuing it as much as they used to. So mm-hmm. I know for myself, it's been kind of a, I just have to take it on myself. I do a lot of... Um, Oh, like being proactive, you right. mean? Right. Well, yes, absolutely. Okay. Being proactive, um, t- attending as many courses as I can, going on field trips is key. Ooh, you know, how do you out- do that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm involved with several different uh, geological uh, organizations here in the Denver metro area, so okay. like the Rocky Mountain Association of Geologists, the American Institute of Professional Geologists, mm-hmm. you know, AAPG, um, so there's a lot of different groups, a lot of different field trip opportunities, oh. and going out and being able to study outcrops gives you a key to what things look like in the subsurface. Yeah. So you said you're an introvert. You're a self-proclaimed introvert. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get yourself to the networking? Because you're actually very effective at networking, and there yeah. is a skill set to networking. You can't just be like <laughs> the drunk guy in the corner. You actually have to be communicating with people and having actionable takeaways. So right. what is your advice for the introvert out there that needs to start communicating? Well, it's it's tough, and I have you know good days and bad days, too. Sometimes I am the person in the corner with you know my glass of wine. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I am, too. But, <laughs> but just because I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. And then there's, you know, other times where, you know, I, I do have that kind of motivational energy and I can mm-hmm. kind of, you know, grab onto that and just get to meet people, build relationships. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just going up to somebody that I don't know in the room and starting a conversation. How does that go usually? Usually it goes really well. People yeah. like to... <laughs> They're usually hoping someone will talk right. to them. <laughs> How has the networking really propelled your career it's been a really strong point for me so networking for me has you know since I'm, I'm fairly new to the industry mm-hmm. but I feel like since I've made the efforts to get out and attend events and meet people I feel like I've you know kind of jumped that initial you know few years getting to know the ropes and all of that so yeah I think it's really helped what is your secret sauce to consulting how do you approach a problem when you, I mean, like the world of consulting, I know when I was in a, a consulting role, every single day I had new data, I had a new project, and I had no idea. It just did not link, or I had to build the link to the day before, so to speak. Right. So what is your secret sauce? Because I had one geologist like redo tops like 75 times, and I was like, dude, you gotta stop. This is where it's it's really important to sit down and evaluate your data Mm -hmm. see what you have to work with and then also see what what our clients have been working with as well so you don't always have to reinvent the wheel okay you know a lot of times they've spent years looking at this data and so they have some better insights than i might initially so understanding from them what they've been able to learn from the data Mm -hmm. as far as like picking tops like what have you been working with what do you see when you're when you're you know looking at like a field wide yeah Um, plan with this and so it's then sitting down and really going through what I have to work with and figuring out where to start and it's it's different with every project exactly the scope of all of our projects are different how do you communicate with your clients how do you 
build that rapport because sometimes they're they're intimidated by an outside source coming in and we aren't always known for our soft skills so what do you do to help sort of bridge that gap and become a part of the team so when i am part of the communication with the clients it's always important to not point out that they like made a mistake or they made a you know they did something wrong with so you're not there to accuse right you're you're there to interpret you're there to like help guide them in the right direction Mm -hmm. and so having you know the using the right words i think is is important and not making them feel like you're superior or you know you're, you're there to work with them and exactly. help strengthen their their development plan or whatever they're working on and i'd say the team here for mha sproul does a very good job of that y'all have the reputation for being a part of the team not a consultant agency let's switch gears a little bit and talk more about training because it is such an art to come into the consulting world i do not think it's something that just new grads can just jump into typically you need a number of years worth of expertise, usually four to five, before you bec- join a consulting team. So what are your tips and tricks for getting their foot in the door and being open to different experiences? Yeah, and this is where I think really being proactive mm-hmm. is key. So I, you know, I, I started off, this was my first, you know, real geo job, you know, with mm-hmm. a consultant firm. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it was a matter of knowing my strengths mm-hmm. and also really understanding my weaknesses so that yeah. when I do have a question I know how to ask that question I know what resources I need to go to to find out the solution considering that you need to get your foot in the door and you are so good at thinking outside the box you really you've spread yourself to positions where you're not just a geologist you're the office manager you're doing it all for the lower 48 now or all of the United States now mm-hmm. which I mean not a lot of people think about stretching outside their roles. So can you talk to us about that process and what kind of the drives you to continue to stretch outside your role? I don't deal with downtime very well. I get oh, bored. You get bored? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good so, thing, though. Right, I guess it is good. Um, but for, yeah, for me, it's like, what can I do to increase efficiencies mm-hmm and improve communication and you know mm-hmm. being able to evaluate that stuff and then put plans into action to help the business as a whole. Yeah, so you're good. always looking for a way, you're kind of an, uh, what do they call it, an entrepreneur then. You're not an entrepreneur, right. but you're an, in- well, you probably are an entrepreneur, <laughs> but given your background. Well, but it's that entre- mindset, yeah. Yeah, but- you're always looking for ways to improve efficiencies to make it happen. So uh, yeah, a really good example of being able to come in and evaluate a role was when I was hired with MHA. And you know, I was just hired to do the administrative services manager role, which mm-hmm. was just kind of being the liaison between the engineers, our IT group, our HR company that we work with. And so I was able to come in and during my training kind of take a full evaluation of what the role was mm-hmm. and identify some areas where we really could use some increased efficiencies and cut out kind of the the redundancies that were created in the role. And then really be able to focus on creating more time. And when I was able to do that, I was able to free myself up to actually take on geology work. That's awesome. And so I turned in, I turned to what was probably a really realistically like a 75% of the time, like a full-time job 
into maybe a 40% full-time job. Just because you went and you looked for those efficiencies. And then you became a full-time geologist as well. So (laughs) yeah, so you must really do enjoy working because you work all the time. (laughs) What about that was kind of your insight into transferable skill sets? Because we have a lot of people in transition right now. And this industry might, honestly, it's kind of brutal. It might not be for you. So how do you use the skill sets you gain or make sure you're gaining transferable skill sets so that you can, you know, proceed elsewhere should need be? Well, I think there's there's a lot of transferable skills that we probably don't realize are transferable skills. Like what? I think, you know, one of the base ones is just communication and being able to yeah. like, communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that's a cross-industry skill. And yeah. then also organization. And being able to keep yourself We are very organized. good at that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we like our data. It has to be organized. Right. <laughs> um, so can you talk to us about uh, how you learned how to manage your peers around you? Because it is a balancing act. And I know that you're very good at managing up, which, you know, if you have someone who's working in Kate effectively, efficiently, can you talk to us about your secret sauce for managing around and up and down and (laughs) delegating when need be well i think the the big secret and it's not really a secret is just getting to know people and know how to read them Mm -hmm. and that's actually a really key skill set is to be able to look at someone and know exactly what you know being able to tell when they do need some support and Mm -hmm. then not being condescending key phrase (laughs) Nobody likes to be talked down to, whether, you know, you're younger than them or older than them or the same. You know, it's mm-hmm. just having that respect. And you're actually helping bring along a hand, or some of the newer juniors now. So how are, you, how are you engaged with them and helping them sort of reach outside their realm to, you know, expand in the world that is consulting? Because juniors, again, five years, that's, they don't think they're juniors until they get here. And then they're like, oh, I right. know nothing. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so I think helping them understand what the expectations are mm-hmm. is key. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when you start in a new industry or a new job, you don't always know what the expectations are, where you fit into the company. Yeah, exactly. And actually, like, learning skill sets like modeling or log interpretation, like, that takes a long time to pick up. There is an interpretation out there that the energy industry, especially oil and gas, is this money-hungry, white male-dominated, to say that that might have been the, you know, oil fields of the past, but I don't see it that way anymore, and I don't see this, like, clean-cut, you know, stark-type, the all realms of life, and I was kind of, I want your interpretation on how the energy industry has evolved. Well, I think we have gone through a lot of change, you know, and I, I don't think we're quite to the we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We still have a lot of a lot of improvement that we can we can make with the with the industry in general, um, but I think unfortunately that kind of persona that like you know power money hungry you know white man yeah. driven industry that kind of formed what the media portrays of our industry exactly and so that's really unfortunate because people don't understand who we really are now mm-hmm. yeah so. With the headlines that are coming out, um, how do we as an industry, the word is not fight, but how do we push back? How do, what, When is the time to take the stance and be heard? Well, I, I think 
unfortunately, a long time ago was when we needed to take the stands. That is you unfortunate. Know, we, we, we really learned that when we were fighting Proposition 112 last fall or two and falls ago. A couple of those got reintroduced recently. Yes. Uh. And so this is where, you know, we as an, end, as an industry have the obligation to be out talking with our neighbors and mm-hmm. our friends and just, I think, normalizing oil and gas. In what way do you mean? It's been so vilified in the media. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all, you know, just out there, you know, the drill, baby, drill attitude, and it's, it's not really <laughs> that way. That was and, just a bumper sticker, <laughs> y'all. Right, <I> know. <laughs> and I think just explaining how drilling and mm-hmm. fracking and all of that works, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, you know, frack has become like a four-letter word, and it's become... It's my four-letter word. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and people don't understand it and what they don't understand is scary to them and I think you know us that you know we work in the industry we understand how these processes Mm -hmm. work we know that they're you know safe the way that we practice now unfortunately in the past there were accidents made as you know companies were learning yeah exactly it's um, a learning curve you in order to get better you at some point you fail And so, you know, just explaining how these processes work to Mm -hmm. people in terms that they can understand is really important. Yeah, we need more of that, especially here in 2020, new decade, election year. Everyone, every candidate and their mother is jumping on the back of energy, and yet they're flying crisscross across the country. You know, it's there. There is a lack of energy clarity in how it impacts, and it's because this we humans as a species we are dramatic. We like our headlines. <laughs> That's very true. Well, and I know I, I try to put things in perspective for people when I'm having those conversations with them because, you know, I am a, I'm a big supporter of renewable energy as well. And I yeah. think we should have a diverse source of energy for our own energy security. And but we, what people don't understand is, you know, when you when you put solar panels on your house, those solar panels don't just come from the solar panel factory. No. <laughs> right? Of course they don't. <laughs> they just, you clap your hands and they appear. Right, so we have a really big disconnect on where our energy sources come from. So you're and, talking about like the full energy footprint. Right, and so it, people don't understand where wind turbines and solar panels mm-hmm. come from, but they think they have an understanding of where oil comes from. I heard the other day that wind turbines, to dispose of them, they actually have to be buried because they're too big for landfills. Yes. Is that actually accurate? That is accurate. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and they're huge and they take up so much space. So much space. Oh my goodness. But the funny part is is that we've been using solar panels in the oil field for decades. Yeah. I mean, it's running our SCADA systems and like turning our pumps on and off. It's just it's so funny how integrated energies are and yet that's not the message that's out there in the media. Right. Do you think there's a way to utilize social media better to uh, project our messages? I'm sure there is. The young kids aren't on Facebook anymore. And so it's it's trying to find the right (laughs) venues to connect with people and the right approach too, because Mm -hmm. I feel like like the anti-oil and gas media push in the last few years, people have become so skeptical of anything that they hear that's positive about the industry. Exactly. And so having the right message and the right approach is key. Well, you know what's interesting is it used to be the social license to operate, but now it's becoming ESG, which is environmental sustainability and governance. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of the evolution. Again, getting better, getting more accurate, making sure we're pushing our message forward. How are you seeing companies just being in the consulting world and you're, you get to see all the secret sauce of so many of these companies. We really do need some insider trading secrets before we leave today, but <laughs> don't worry, I won't do that to you. <laughs> but like, how are you seeing these companies evolve in terms of their ESG stance for 
the general community? Well, it's changed a lot. You know, in the past, companies didn't really work on their external appearance. Head down, ignore, ignore. Right. And so now <laughs> we have people working in, you know, in publicity and marketing that are out there just focusing on creating a public image. Mm-hmm. And we have companies, you know, you see like really great commercials on TV by Noble that are like, yeah. really pushing that positive community message, which is really important. I think so. Yeah, just constant communication, but making it interesting to all parties, I think. Right. And honestly, that's probably why Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat get have taken off so much because it's fast communication. Right, <laughs> exactly. I want to talk to you a little bit about STEM engagement because you are a mom. And I have not spoken to any other uh, industry influencers about STEM yet. I I think it needs to come from the parent and what they are interpreting. My interpretation of energy in the schools is that it is both loved and hated. It, It doesn't tend to take the effect that we would think, and yet we're pushing STEM just for the sake of pushing STEM. So can you kind of take us through what you've experienced as a parent and maybe the uh, the good, the bad, what we could do better type things to get those involved with more of these math and sciences because they're so fun. Oh, they're so fun and they're so important. And kids are natural scientists. Oh, they're such nerds. And <laughs> you know, getting kids outside and exploring and investigating things and that's what that's what kids love to do and that's what is natural for kids. And you know, putting them in a classroom where they're expected to sit still and listen to lectures, you know, yeah. at such young ages now is like an impossible mm-hmm. request of kids. I know my experience, I, I grew up, I loved science. I had a, you know, pivotal course in middle school that that was why I wanted to go into the earth sciences. I had a really engaging teacher that just made the class so much fun. Really? And for me, that really affected my focus on the rest of my life, like what I wanted to do, what I was passionate about. I realized that you know, I wasn't just by myself loving dinosaurs and rocks, but it was really <laughs> something that I could do and be passionate about for, you know, a lifelong, you know, venture. And so for my daughter now, I really focus on letting her have the opportunities that she wants. If she's interested in something, you know, I, I try to make it happen. We do a lot of science at home. Mm-hmm. And We're lucky enough that we were able to get her into a school this last year that focuses on math and science. Okay. And, you know, we're in, we're in Denver public schools and they traditionally don't have the best reputation for their, their school programs, unfortunately. And it's slowly changing and getting better, but really having that focus is key. However, you know, there's, my daughter came home from school a couple days ago and she was saying that my teacher said pump jacks are bad. Exactly. I was going to ask, what's their interpretation of energy? So, you know, how is a pump jack bad? That's like as simple as it gets. Right. Yeah. So, and I think it was just, they were having an energy conversation. And so that's how it was labeled was, I don't know the whole conversation, so I can't make any assumptions, but you know, they're talking about clean energy, which is important, but I think, you know, they need to be addressing energy as a whole rather than saying one is good and one is bad. Yeah, well, there's really no such thing as clean energy. There's such thing as integrated energy. Exactly. Clean energy is false marketing. It's like saying something is carbon neutral. That's just not real. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, when you're labeling something as clean energy, you're forgetting the entire process of producing 
you know, that solar panel or that wind turbine mm-hmm. or the battery or whatever we're using for the energy. And the, even the energy they produce, it still has to go through the grid system, which has, you know, its flaws in it. So if you want to claim clean, then you need to define what clean is. Exactly. So that actually leads me to an interesting point. Teachers, especially elementary school teachers, tend to be negative towards the energy industry. Yet, we are one of the biggest funders of them. And so, okay, you don't like the money. So how do we change the attitude of teachers? Because they haven't even gone through school. They don't know what they're talking about when they're speaking negatively. Right. And so this really just demonstrates, I think, the ignorance that most people have with the energy industry. Mm -hmm. You know, what they don't understand is bad, especially when we have all this negative marketing. Exactly. Um, So for me, what's really important is being able to, you know, spend time, go into the classroom and volunteer and talk to the kids. And so that's, for me, you know, when you can talk to the kids in a way that they understand, I think the teachers connect well, it's just a little not, bit more when they see the kids yeah. are passionate about it and understanding how things work. Yeah, and it's it's not just the responsibility of the parents. Like, it is the responsibility of the school board. And I think it's it falls under the ESG is how do we more more effectively communicate with the teachers? What do we do to educate them? And is there an upside there? Figuring out how to require that in the in a teaching program is would be key. Forcing um, it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I don't know what the solution for that is. That's that's a it's a big problem affecting mm-hmm. our entire society. You know, people not understanding science, and it's I think we've seen that in the last few years, especially there's been like an anti-science movement. Yeah, there has, and there's been only pushing girls into science, right? Which is it's great. Don't get me wrong. I I was a scientist. I want to be in science, and I encourage any young woman to go into it. However. Why did we forget the guys? Well, and this this is my big gripe with like the girls in STEM movement, right? <laughs> so it makes STEM pink. <laughs> right. With, with science and technology and engineering, math, all these, you know, and arts and all of this, it needs to be an all kid solution. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids don't know the history of all of this. All they see are these programs that are targeted toward certain groups. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of anti productive in that way. The kids see it marketed not toward them. Like if you're a boy in the classroom and you, there's all these girls programs and what's left for you mm-hmm. you know it's so why I, I don't think it's effective for the kids and it just needs to be a focus for everybody I think you so know, I think it's it's more of like a feel-good thing for the grown-ups that are putting the programs together yeah but, but in the long run it needs to be an all-inclusive thing yeah and I will say we do see women leave industry because of pregnancy or maybe they got married or maybe they need to raise their kids like but the other side of it is I think industry needs to do a better job of pulling these women back and saying there's still a place for you here yes. when you are ready to stop pulling your hair out and come hang out with us again right. and I think <laughs> we're seeing that you know a lot of companies have become a lot more friendly to you know, flexible work schedules yes. and working from home. Now that yes. we have the technology to work remotely, it's become oh, a lot can easier to do us that. Anywhere. Right. <laughs> so I think we're moving in the right direction with yeah. that. And then we, you know, we're not missing out on these really talented people exactly. that aren't able to, you know, go into an office because of their family obligations. Yeah. Well, also we're in an industry that ebbs and flows so much. We need to allow our people to ebb and flow with that. Yes. So no, that's very important. What are your thoughts about the conventional to unconventional and then back again movement that we're kind of seeing across the industry? Because I will say one of the reasons that I joined the uh, energy industry was because of the potential international opportunities. 
everything is conventional international <laughs> or at least so far <laughs> but we are in, we are an unconventional industry and we're seeing a movement back towards conventional yeah so it's it's a really interesting shift and for me as a geologist i like working in the conventional place a lot more i think why is that i don't know there's there's just there's more variety there's more science there's more science there's <laughs> there's a lot more interesting things to put together so i'm i'm excited about that and i think as you know as far as like international projects go in consulting having kind of an experience in both mm-hmm. we have a stronger approach than moving toward the conventional place here in the u.s and we yeah. can help you know there's there's a lot of you already have your foot in the door so to speak right and there's, so there's a lot of you know junior employees at companies that don't have any experience in conventionals they only know unconventionals that's what's been around for the last 10 right. years and so 15 that, years that, that gives <laughs> <Got> us <laughs> the opportunity to help with like the mentoring component. yeah do you think science was lost on unconventionals do you think geology think, and engineering was dumbed down? I don't think so. I think it was, it's a whole different world. It's just a whole and different so world. <laughs> it is. I think, you know, we had to expand our our way of thinking when we moved to the unconventionals. And I think it's it's going to be kind of the same thing moving back. Just a different <laughs> way of thinking about how the how the um, reservoirs produce and how they operate. Exactly. Their drive mechanisms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no real, like, IP90 right. in conventional world. And it's kind of interesting. There's no type curves in conventional world. It's like a full volume of – it's just one unit, essentially. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just two totally different worlds. What is your secret sauce for moving back towards conventionals? What advice would you give geos who are – who are about to graduate and still dedicated to joining industry? I guess just make sure you have a well-rounded understanding of the two different worlds, Mm -hmm. you know, both the unconventionals and the conventionals. And there are a lot of people that are nearing retirement that are out there that are wanting to be mentors. Oh, they're awesome. So take advantage of those people. There's always someone in this industry willing to go to coffee. Yes. Like, that's how great our industry is. We always want, after we get done doing our thing, we're like, okay, who are we going to pass it right. to? <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, understanding that there are people to go out to yeah. for, you know, resources like that is, is key. I think so. What do you, what advice do you have for those entering industry right now? Would you recommend it? What do you think is, what do you think is the right path? Because we have been in a prolonged downturn that most claim is worse than what we see in the 80s. I still would recommend going into the industry. I and love I think, that. Why? <laughs> well, and I think you're the only one. I want to right? know why. <laughs> this industry is really a fun industry. There's it is. so much to learn, and especially in consulting, there's so many fun projects out there to work on. And I think you just have to be prepared for all situations mm-hmm. and really diversify yourself so that you do have a fallback, you know, when the industry does its next downturn. It's not a matter of if, it's a cyclical industry, all commodity industries are. So you have to be prepared for ups and downs. <laughs> so how do you think uh, we are pivoting? What do you, We are in a transition point. We've been in a prolonged downturn. We are in an election year and it is going <laughs> to be so fun. So. What do you see yes. happening? Where do you see this pivot point actually settling? That's a loaded question. Yeah, it's supposed um. to be. <laughs> <laughs> so there are so many what ifs out there right now. Mm-hmm. And with our industry here, and I think especially like you pointed out earlier that, you know, we've been declared a we non investment. Right. Companies don't want to invest here. So <laughs> it's it's becoming kind of scary and I think the tipping point is gonna come 
once the state realizes they, they don't have the revenues that they did. Mm-hmm. And that's going to happen pretty quickly. It's unfortunate that it goes back to money, but again, going back to money is going well, back to business. Exactly. And, and the, state is a, the state is a company. Right. And I think, you know, from what I've read, it's like oil and gas provides like $3 billion to the Colorado economy. I actually think for, it's To the more, state. Yeah, specifically. yeah. Specifically. And... It's going to suck when those chairlifts don't work it's anymore. It's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... Unfortunately, it's really going to come down to the state trying to then figure out where they're going to get that money from. Mm-hmm. And Taxation is the only other option, right. or at least for that level of revenue. Right, and, and people aren't going to want that either. So it's then trying to find out, I think, what the balance is. What are your best, worst, and most memorable management, let's call them learning opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think, what was something that really stood out to you in your career that you either utilized or was a training moment for you? Well, I've, I'm sure I have lots of super juicy things I could talk about. Oh, but the, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I think Give us know, all the details. Right? <laughs> Drop a name. <laughs> but the, I think for me, the most constructive thing that, you know, lesson that I learned was, you know, not in the workplace. It was when I was doing my undergrad degree mm-hmm. and I had a professor there who I, I spent a lot of time doing research with and She's kind of my go-to oh, in my she's mind. Still like you your know? mentor. Yes, that's <laughs> awesome. I always think back to her. I'm like, what would she do in this situation? <laughs> and, <laughs> what would the geo do? <laughs> so, but what really stood out to me with her was that she never made a decision, like immediately. She always like she thought about it. She would take time and think something through, no matter if it was a big or a small decision. Mm-hmm. You know, you would see a student come to her office and have like a major problem, and she always be like can we touch base with this tomorrow or next week or depending so she on could the, the scope of the problem? And then, right, she would put together, you know, a well-rounded solution for the student. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we tend to jump on fires. And, I mean, literally, like, I don't know how many people I text, hey, I can't get back to you today because of this. I have to, you know, rearrange. I have to reschedule, what have you. And yeah, it's always quick, 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 and it's not always the best and most effective decision. I mean, right. it usually works out, thank God, but like... Well, and especially in stressful situations, you know, I think sometimes it's better not to say something right away because the wrong thing <laughs> might Before come you out, speak. Right? <laughs> so I think, you know, that's... I try to implement that as much as possible. It doesn't always work. You know, we're not always perfect, but I, it's... What I, I strive to do is to really put thought into my decisions before I make them or you know, before I say something to somebody to really come out with a well thought response. It's actually <laughs> <Right>? really good <laughs> advice. <laughs> You're actually probably the only one who's actually said that advice. So very good <laughs> advice. What are the big things that are happening in the world of geos right now? What is kind of on your lookout? What on what's the new stuff on your radar? What's the stuff that's circling back? Oh, so for geos, I think it's really understanding how to analyze data. You know, we are in a data world. But we've always and, been in data world. You said well, that. Well, and I think it's 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 changed though. We're instead of looking at data from a specific well mm-hmm. or a specific field, we're looking at you know global economic data mm-hmm. and finding out where things fit in, and really being able to understand the bigger picture is important. Okay, interesting. So like taking the time back to go back to the beginning, so to speak. Right. That's interesting. It'll be it'll be fun to see how the world of geology comes out of this pivot point, I think. What is a book, podcast, or other resource that has brought you value that you think would bestow some value onto others? 
Well, the book that I always go back to, and it's an old one. That's fine. But it's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Ooh, I that's, like that that's one. That's always a foundation book for me. Oh, it's soft skills. Yeah, it is. And I, I read that several years ago. My, my husband actually recommended that when we first met before. Oh, we, well, we that is an awkward first <laughs> right? date. Tell us about that. <laughs> it wasn't first date material, but he, he had recently read it and was like, you know, actively practicing a lot of the, the techniques in the book. Mm-hmm. And so it was. it's really, I guess, fun watching somebody else go through that. And <laughs> but it there, worked out. You married him. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> he was able to influence me into marrying him. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, having those soft skills is, is really key no matter what industry you're in. That's awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time. This was yeah. so fun. I had so much fun hearing more about the world of Geo because, like, like you know, I've been trained by Geos, and I feel like I should have been trained more by them <laughs> in my career. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all the value you brought, and thank you for just doing all that you do in industry every day. Well, thank you for the Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement, and until next week, give them hell.